Okay, I'm recording. Okay. What's up, Zafar? How are you doing? Existing, trying to find inner peace, one cuisine at a time. One cuisine at a time, my friend. I uh, let's do small introductions, Zafar. Uh, let's. Uh, why don't you tell our small little audience about uh, about yourself, and uh, maybe you want to mention how you and I know each other as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let's see. Okay, I'm Zafar. Uh, from right now in Sweden, uh, working with uh, thin film physics in a company called Impact Coating. Basically, I'm a process or production engineer. So I met uh, Gautam. So the the way I know Gautam is like uh, I know he, I knew him as Gugu. I'm not sure if people still refer to you as Gugu, but we go long back. How, how long has it been? 2000, 2011? 10? 10, I'd say, man. We met 10, dude. Uh, it's 10 years back. 10 years back. Yeah, a decade. We are getting old, man. We're getting old. <laughs> okay. So where did I know you first? Yeah, I knew that like, someone came and told me, yeah, there is this new guy in the university and he's, he's, like, he's making a lot of noise. <laughs> and uh, he's a very popular guy. And I'm like, okay, that's that's good thing that there is someone who's breaking the stereotype of being a normal kid. And it's nice to be different. Okay, that, that's how I knew. And then, then we started acting together because of Shomirubai, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that Shomirubai was like the, how do I say, the guy who brought talents together. He did, right? He had that. Yeah. Uh, he had that. He Knack. had something uh, magnetic about the way he just attract like a lot of these creative minds. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, he was a he was a fascinating, uh, 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 an excellent human being, and he had a lot of positivity as well. Yeah, I hope he, one he day still has. Can... I'm talking about him like he's dead. He's not dead. He's perfectly. <laughs> he's very successful working in uh, within Instagram. Uh, uh-huh. He's yeah. a very successful uh, individual in his career, and uh, I hope one day. One day we should get him to your podcast. We, we, because you I'm, know, I'm still it, a small-time podcaster. Maybe one day when I'm, uh, when I'm worth, uh, when it's worth talking about, I would love to talk to. I would love to talk to him, man. I would love to talk to Shomer. But, uh, but yes, uh, to continue what Zafar was saying, we met. We met through drama, and I think mm-hmm. uh, more than just drama. I think the reason we bonded so well mm-hmm. is because uh, uh, no conversation of ours has been normal by any sense. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's is... because, and that's because I don't think we we uh, I think both of us sort of fancy ourselves as uh, uh, new age philosophers who like <laughs> to dissect and uh, evaluate <laughs> things for the meaning behind. And we started doing that with drama. Like, exactly. what are you like? Look at and I remember. Do you remember when we were doing those mimes and they say this action will put the idea in the audience's mind that this yeah. person is a sad person. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, man, I get goosebumps talking about this. The thing is, we were not actors, we were performers. We did what's that word called? Method acting. Method there were times, yeah, there were times when the character asked for a person who is, who is thin, lean, and lanky, like things. And you know how bad the mess food was in yeah. our university. Yeah. So I never went to eat because I was so engrossed in this idea of acting that yeah. I forgot to eat. And then I became the character which I was portraying. So yeah. it's very strange. Like you try to identify with the character and you become one with it. it is that how usually people do? I don't know. Like, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, like I should probably preface this by telling people that we are not like some major, we were never major. We were semi-professional, maybe theater actors is at best what I would, mm-hmm. how we'd categorize. But I think we loved what we did because, uh, yes. so, so we used to, we used to brainstorm crazy ideas, right? You remember like us uh, working on, oh, Untitled. Oh, I want to I I tell the story of Untitled for people who haven't listened. I want to tell, especially your story. Uh, mm-hmm. In that, in that, uh, in that thing. So, Untitled was when I was in my second year. I was the drama club secretary along with Kiran. I was a co-secretary, mm-hmm. and uh, at that time, I had the opportunity to go to perform in uh, for that uh, NSU's. Uh, uh, it was that that uh, theater festival, and we had the opportunity to go perform, and I had the opportunity to write the play, direct it, and act in it. And mm-hmm. in that play, I had one very specific role. Mm-hmm. Just which lasted two minutes on stage out of the whole 30, 35, 40 minutes that the play was lasted mm-hmm. two minutes. The person who would have to do this role would have to be curled up in a, inside a sack, have to be dragged across. And then uh, when he comes out of the sack, he is tortured for two minutes, pure agony. And mm-hmm. the only person who could pull this off was Zafar. And what I oh, loved yeah. about it, man. This, this was Makosa. Not, uh, no, Moksha, Moksha. Not Moksha, man. Untitled. The one where you're pulled out, Chetan pulled your hair and then uh, slapped ah. you out. Oh my God, damn, dude. I don't even remember. <laughs> Sometimes trauma happens to you and you are like, you, you, somehow your brain tries to cover it up with something else. Ah, dude, but yeah. that was, see, yeah. that's the thing. It was like such a small thing for you, but it was such a big thing for me because you were on stage for those two minutes and those two minutes were the one was the two minutes that that completely freaks everyone in the crowd out exactly yeah i did that, that small two minutes <laughs> of pure horror and pain that you brought to the role it was incredible man it was it is still one of the best pieces of acting that i've seen live really okay so i just wanted to i just wanted to give you that and uh, tell you it was and you know what i really love about you zaf it's that mm-hmm. it was that two minute role and you have to go mm-hmm. through so much pain for that because you have to stay on stage for 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah. sack. Oh doing my nothing. God. Yeah. 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 And the yeah. fact that you did that, you would stay there and then you'd come out with this burst of energy. Yes. Was it, it was, it was a buildup of all the emotions that I had to go through to come till that stage. That was in my mind all 30 minutes. Even when we did, uh, uh, what was it? Moksha? I was under the table, right? No one knew yeah. that I was there. <laughs> you were, you were under, uh, but this was worse. Untitled was worse because you were dragged across stage first and then left in a sack for everyone to see. So you can't even move. In Moksha, at least you were covered inside. You could sit and wait to be pulled out, right? Yeah, man. This was a long time ago. Damn, dude. Long okay. Time. Yeah. And, and actually, that was our first drama as well. Moksha is when we uh, uh, went on. And we, we had that moment. You know what? I think that's where, that's where our friendship like sort of built. Because you and mm-hmm. I had that moment on stage. Where, mm-hmm. where I had to, I had to like, I had to treat you like a dog. You remember? Oh yeah. It was abuse on stage. And it was abuse it, on stage. The, one thing we should tell about, about the university where we studied, it, it's not like your regular universities. There are a lot of restrictions. You can't show things on the stage. It went through a filtering system. So you cut out all the things uh, that are non-traditional, right? We, yeah. we had to go through a lot of process, like someone, some professors come to see, are we doing any kind of nonsense before? Because we wanted to show that our university has got its values upheld. So there were a lot of, uh, what do you call this? The like censoring that happened before the actual output came out. 
Yeah, it was incredible. It was it was the fact that we were able to do that and uh, get away with it was I think <laughs> exactly. So we we hid most of the things, and then I hope no professors are listening to this. <laughs> Yeah, but by the time it came on stage, people people were like, "Shit, what the hell just happened?" Like, you know, you remember the time it was it was crazy. It was yes, yes. It felt like that night. I remember that night felt electric for some reason. We were transcending emotions, man. It was somewhere else. It was somewhere else. It was. I'm sure, like, oh, you know, looking at the video and all, looks like a normal, like normal stage play that you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that moment over there. It's so yeah. hard to it's so hard to put into words just how much yeah, exactly. it's just that vibe that electricity in the in the, the music air. the music people got goosebumps Pingu, no man. one was expecting the, this the the best sound mixer anyone could ask for pingu mm-hmm. yes pingu shout out to pingu bro Major shout out to pingu whose actual name is gotham but yeah. uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, called him Pingu, and uh, he was incredible. He was a god level guy. He used to headbang without hat on his head. That's the yeah. kind of human being. <laughs> he would he would find the perfect snippet from some random anime song that fits exactly in the moment for that character. Yeah, it was incredible. We were we were a good team. I think we we respected each other. We knew what each other was capable of. We were we were not we we were not actors like high by friends. We were a family. Yeah, we were. That's hard yeah. to. That's hard for to all get the years, this kind of people. Yeah. For all the years that you were there, we did. We did some incredible plays. I felt we did some, uh, and it was. It was more than the play. The night was amazing because it was validation of so many. But it was those days sitting in your dark room, brainstorming <laughs> ideas, coming up with that one moment that would. Do you remember uh, Makusa uh-huh. for Makusa? Yeah. Yes, uh, we yes. would decide. We need that one shock moment, right? We need yeah. that one. Shock. And you remember, we decided we'll cut Srisha's head off on stage. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I spent three days making a paper mache head. In, yeah, in my balcony. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I looked it up online. I checked out how to make. I made a paper mache head, and I still remember when uh, uh, I forgot Shiva. Yeah, Shiva cut off Srisha's head. He pulls yeah. out this paper mache, <laughs> and people went insane. But you know what? Yes, yes, people. And you know what was the next big what the fuck moment was when there was no power. Oh, it was lights went off. Lights in the went entire down. in the town, the entire town was shut off, and the judges were like, "Oh, is this a part of the play?" Yeah, it's because that was, it was the it was the part of the play where uh, I get possessed or something by the demon, and uh-huh. people put like the put their mobile lights on so that they yeah. could. Uh, oh, it was just, could, because. We we froze on stage and we were like, oh shit! Now we need to wait until the power comes. So, but someone in the crowd said, "Turn on your mobile phone lights." I'm not sure, but whoever this person was, God bless you, man. That saved our play. God and, bless you. Yeah, it, it was it was so damn nice. Like we couldn't see each other, but we were still performing. We went ahead, and then the power came on, and then we just continued. It's it, incredible. It was, it was incredible the, because yeah, it was it was just like, and everyone asked me after that, like, was it planned? You guys switched it off on your own? I'm like, <laughs> no. It was completely unplanned. It was, it was just one of those moments that happen, and you just go with it. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was, I was sure. yeah. incredible. Do you remember on uh, uh, one of those uh, Etimade stage? I think uh, when mm-hmm. we went to show Moksha, mm-hmm. the stick that I had to carry broke. Yes, yes. The base broke, and I didn't have anywhere <laughs> to like put the, uh, put the rope, and I had yeah. to improvise on stage. 
I tied it up. I acted like I was doing this one curse or something, and I put it. <laughs> Man, the the thing is, we were so used to getting screwed on stage. We just like, ah, oh, this is just a normal thing that we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the amount of resources that we had. You remember when we did the mine? The final before the actual Goa uh, performance. Our main performance was outside McDonald's or something. Yeah, that's a, that was the first time we did this thing. Like oh, which one? Which one was that? The one outside. The, the first town? mime we did when we went to before going to Goa. Ah, uh, which one was this? Ah, uh, the friendship is the true treasure. Oh man, I don't remember. Yeah, the thing is, we have done too many mimes. Uh, it's okay, <laughs> but this was one of the first ones. Oh shit! Yeah, we performed outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was some street thing that we did, right? uh we we jump out of the stage uh and we throw the treasure there was a demon monster things like this happened dude i'm blanking i remember like we doing some some street shit but i don't remember this exactly <laughs> yeah yeah it's been 10 years it's okay yeah it's been 10 years and that was a that was a long time ago those uh... it, it, it's so interesting we left theater now we are in real life playing the same characters but in a different stage altogether we are living the characters <laughs> yeah i you know that is such a such a true statement i still feel like i'm playing a role i'm mm-hmm. uh, i'm playing my next big role that's what i'm doing right now does that uh, does that make sense yes uh, yes 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 i'm 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 uh, i'm auditioning for the role of a huge huge hugely successful corporate machine and uh, that's my that's my new role that i'm going to you know give all my method all activity. your energy to right and then once you are bored with it then you go to the next role isn't that life what's life all about doing roles in different stages you need to take the role of a dad you need to take the role of a husband or or a engineer or whatever yeah yeah man it's a it's been a very interesting uh, journey since then but uh, yeah but how long has it been since we spoke to each other like i just called you today out of the blue after so many years man it, it's uh, no I, i think we spoke sometime in 20 2019 because when i had moved here we had a uh-huh. call i remember when i moved to spain we definitely talked uh, okay. but i don't remember uh, the context yeah it was about me 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 maybe coming there to visit but then the tickets were too expensive and i couldn't i couldn't do the trip but uh, was something around that and uh, i don't remember exactly like but then we didn't we didn't stay in touch for a while and uh, but i don't i think that's the point right we don't we don't need that like daily whatsapp messages on the weekend exactly gogo you're one of the human beings like i think everyone should have a friend like you or pingu or like you need to go back you need placeholder friendships in your life so that you can go back to them and uh, replenish your identity you, yeah. you get what i'm saying like to know better of myself sometimes you need to go to the fundamentals and those fundamentals of the person you are lies with your friends and you are one of those for me mm-hmm. so i can talk to you after 100 years and okay maybe after 10 years and still know where i grew up from where i was where i was before and how i am right now our yeah, principles and our values are the same it's just the the we have a difference in our experiences yeah and what a difference it is we have uh, we have come a long way since then huh? mhm uh, you've been through we've been through some shit mhm mm-hmm. which both uh, are in europe so that's a good thing and then sometimes uh, the thing is sometimes we don't 
what I understood is we don't belong in this traditionalistic kind of thought process. We both are creative human beings and we need an outlet to express. Back home, it's more like, uh, oh, you belong in a society and you need to have the same kind of societal norms. And yeah. here we can express the way we are. And it's totally okay. Mainly because we come from India. No one is going to. We come from a different customs. So yeah. if you ask an awkward question, people will just laugh it off and say, oh, that's the way it's back home. So it's okay. You can ask this question. Back in India, you ask some fucked up question. They'll be like, hey, you can't do this. Give me respect because I'm old. Uh, things like this. But do you think, do you mm. think our way of thinking is sustainable as a society? If everyone thinks the way we think, mm. or, you know, not to make it seem like we're some great philosophers, but at least think, uh, think maybe a little uh, unorthodox. In a, I, like, unorthodox. I, I, I think I like this question because every generation or every era has got these two kinds of human beings. One that does not fit with the general, uh, general society. Yeah. And then there are people who are who 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 are okay with being being how do I say not having much high expectations. They can go with the flow. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's equally important to have balance on both sides. It is, and I don't think um, the thing is right. Uh, we somehow I think we still lie somewhere, if not in in between, somewhere close to the middle line when it comes to this process because. Uh, we're still able to make uh, choices, decisions, or rationalize with a way of normal thinking or normal uh, uh, methods of interpreting the society. Mm-hmm. Or- okay, I would like to ask you another question. Uh, you have come to uh, Spain, right? And you have imbibed the cultures from around you. How do you think that has influenced you? How has Spanish mm-hmm. culture changed the Indianness in you? Hmm. Interesting question. How has Spanish culture changed the Indianness? Um, well, then, but the first thing that we have to then establish is what is my level of Indianness, or how do I associate my what do I associate my Indianness? Do I have I do I have a pride a proud? Uh, uh, no, I'm I'm trying to uh, okay. Let me disassociate myself from my life and look at it as uh-huh. a third person. Mm-hmm. Do I does this person uh, have? a strong bond or sense of Indianness and the traditional nationalist sense that, oh, this strong feeling of patriotism, nationalism. I would say, no, I have a much more pragmatic view of my Mm -hmm. relationship with India. I understand Mm -hmm. what the implications are on both sides, like what Mm -hmm. I probably need to give back, what what I can expect from the country, like that. But, and the huge reason for that is because I grew up outside of India. I grew up in a multitude of places. And it's not like I grew up in one place for the entire time. Like, not like I lived only in Dubai before I came to India. I lived mm-hmm. in Dubai. I lived in Bahrain. I lived in Alain. I lived in... Uh, 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 I, I lived in across these places multiple times. I spent one year here, one year here. So I never had a sense of belonging mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people uh, even take for granted. I've always had that ability. Not And, and, and by... By the nature of my, uh, you know, turbulent childhood itself, turbulent in sense of movement, I've had mm-hmm. the, I've had to develop the skill to quickly adjust or quickly like uh, make my peace with, be a chameleon with a with a new culture. So that's how I my approach to Spain itself has been. I have maintained uh, 
my whatever my individual sense of myself of my uh-huh. self image but i have allowed myself to mold to the culture when required but can i say that i've imbibed some of their uh some of their uh, whatever nuances maybe a little bit to someone from outside it might seem i don't feel so i feel pretty much the same person but just okay. with a little more knowledge with a little more understanding of the world i live around maybe you should tell what spanish people are like just so that people know like what exactly context we are talking about so i'm going to avoid doing that because i have a feeling i'll end up some, saying something very <laughs> stereotypical and then that might offend someone even though even if i don't mean it in that way so i'm not going to say that okay. Okay. but i want, no, I, want just, I want your impression what what do you feel like you have lived in sweden longer than i've lived in spain what is okay. uh, what has what is the how different is the zafer i'm talking to right now versus the zafer who landed in sweden that many years ago Okay now I might have to say some stereotypical things but I think most Swedes know that okay, they have got these criticisms not as criticism but more like they know what how they are perceived um Swedish people are usually considered very very cold human beings but they are not cold as a person it's seen I would rather say it is it's uh their character sketch is more like in a uh, impolite not impolite negative politeness that's the word what it means is they wouldn't want to come and disturb you uh and say hi and try to greet you or anything because they feel they are invading your private space so if they see you they will they, it depends on which part of the country or if you're in gothenburg maybe they'll smile if you're in stockholm maybe they won't but it's okay they they know their place and they will behave very gently so that they don't harm you in any way by saying unnecessary things or having an extra conversation or small talks or something like that. Right. Now, being in Sweden, how long has it been? 5 years, 4 years? Yeah. The last time I went to IKEA, I really understood that okay, I am transforming into a Swede. Very interesting. Why would you pick IKEA to <laughs> cause this example? Of all the places IKEA, it has to be IKEA. It's the most Swedish uh, thing to do. It is it is the most Swedish thing to go to IKEA for a breakfast, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> to to have your meatballs i think for most uh, swedes in outside country i don't get thing, i don't uh, get why people hate on meatballs okay i met a lot of people here who have this i don't know this prejudice <laughs> against meatballs it is such really? a lovely sustainable meal not sustainable <laughs> but uh, i think for a student it's much more uh, what pocket friendly kind of meal pasta meatballs some sauce done done okay so anyway i go to ikea because i moved into a new home so i needed uh-huh. to get things from there and you have this self checkouts if you have okay. noticed in ikea you have self checkouts and if i was the the person whom i knew i was before you have to scan your own things right yeah i would just have skipped scanning altogether some of the products and i would have gone my way without even paying for the things i shopped but the swedishness in me prevented me from doing that because in my mind i was like these people trust me i should not break that trust absolutely so i i scanned every product <laughs> there you know you know i know it's a bad thing to do don't shoplift whoever is listening that's a bad thing uh-huh. but i understood that i was doing this not because i was a nice person it's because of the trust element that the swedish culture makes you uh imbibe from the environment around you you know what that yeah. is that is exactly what india is missing people just don't trust each other people just don't trust each other for uh-huh. any reason 
and look at the look at the uh, look at public transport over here. More often than not, in at least in Spain, I won't. I mean, and I'm assuming it's the same for Sweden. You don't have mm-hmm. anyone checking your uh, no security guard waiting near the toll gate or whatever. If you really want to jump the turnpipe <laughs> and go, uh-huh. you can jump the turnpipe and go and ride for free, and the yeah. chance of you getting caught are minimal because there's no one on the other side checking if you've swiped or paid for your trip. But That's people true. still people still swipe, people still pay, people still use the public transport because there is a there's a environment of trust that people have built with each other. Can yeah, you the, imagine in India, uh, in uh, Big Bazaar, if you go to Big Bazaar, first of all, they'll scan you with a metal detector before you enter. <laughs> Why well, go to a PVR and they scan you? Here I can just walk in with popcorn in my bag and no one is going yeah, to check anything. Nobody checks your bag. In PVR, they will open your bag, make sure there's no snacks so that they can make you pay 300 bucks for one <laughs> shitty bucket of uh, uh, popcorn that, inside. That, that's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, the last time I was in um, um, Copenhagen, mm-hmm. all this all this expensive brands like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, they were kept on the streets for people to view and uh, check the prices and take it. And in my heart, I was like, man, don't, this is like daylight. You can you can shoplift in broad daylight. But mm-hmm. no, that never ha- that does not happen. Yeah. So it's so. It's so nice to to be in a society where trust is the most important thing. I would not say trust. It's more like uh, values that is imbibed mm-hmm. because of the way the government treats you. Yeah, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I I absolutely. Uh, it's just that uh, I don't know. And this was the problem with uh, Amrita as well. I have no problem in naming and shaming uh, that university because. Uh, <laughs> Because I, 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 okay, wait, where credit, where credit is due. I yeah. met some of the most amazing people like yourself through mm-hmm. Amrita. I mm-hmm. had some of the best experience. I reinvented myself. I discovered myself to a large extent in Amrita because of the experiences we had. But it yeah. was still such a struggle to live, uh, to, have, to have these wonderful experiences built around an environment that was essentially a prison. Uh, but think about it, uh, Google. Okay. Gautam, Google. Yeah, I'll call you Google. Call me Google, man. Call me, call me what you are comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, so Google, think about it. We, we were denied. Man, the way we practiced for our drama, they gave us a, like a tiny room with a lot of dust. There was construction going on. We couldn't listen to our cues in the music to do the next, the, yeah. to transition to the next scene. With all this, all those hurdles, we still came to a position. Man, we were national level second for the mine and we were national level third for the south india level uh, contest that we went to yeah Th- that's that's that you can't just um, push it away saying ah anybody can no no these even though the place made us uh, constrained a lot of our basic um, basic amenities it made us realize how like once you graduate even going out and buying food we value those things. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We, we had this, what, that between four and six, you can go out. And if you come one minute late, you're like screwed for life. And yeah. You need to pay like 100 rupees or something. I was actually talking to Vishwanath about that in our podcast. Huh? Okay. We, I told him the same thing. The fact that we had all those restrictions made mm-hmm. me appreciate so much of uh, the freedom I got when I got out of that. And then I... And... It's the same thing that's happened with me in the lockdown here as well. So Madrid went through one of the worst lockdowns. Yeah, yeah, sim- yeah. The simple ability to go walk outside whenever I want, get some fresh air, 
Mm-hmm. You appreciate these little things so much. And Amrita gave us that after four years staying in that, in that place. <laughs> so, so do you think restricting restrictions while growing up is a good thing? I think, uh, I think fair restrictions, the ones that you can reason with are a good thing. And there needs to be a fair reason for it. You, can't, you shouldn't impose a restriction if it will cause resentment in that person. You have to impose a restriction and the person has to understand why that restriction is there and why it makes sense. If you do not have a valid reason to justify that restriction, you are not allowed to give the, put that restriction. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I understand. I'm just trying to think of examples. Uh, what, what would be a valid restriction versus an invalid one? I can give you, I can give you some. Do you want me to? Or, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. Please, please, please. <laughs> uh, I was just thinking, hmm, where is he going to say? Uh, well, uh, in case a uh, 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 scenario where it's a valid restriction would be where I say, okay, after 8 p.m., I expect, say, my kids to not go outside, not be outside the house. Why? Because they, if they, it's a weekday, if they're expected to get up at 6 to go to school, it makes sense that you're at your home at 8, you have any other work you've done, and you're in bed at the reasonable time because mm-hmm. sleep is the most important thing in terms of productivity. Now, an unreasonable, unreasonable restriction would be that I say, ah, exams are two months away. So I think you should not go out and play from four to six that I allow you to usually, because mm-hmm. I think you should be sitting here and studying instead. Now, that okay. is, is an unreasonable restriction because you're curbing something that gives the child genuine pleasure or joy. Uh, <laughs> and these kids, yeah, 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 totally. I get it. And these kids, um, you put these restrictions and they will find ways and means to find loopholes and they will become bigger mastermind than you. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be a fight. You know, it shouldn't be a uh. fight with your kid to say, okay, no, no, you will not do this. It should be a discussion because I, I'm, I'm a really strong believer in the fact that you got to treat kids like adults. right? Off exactly. Time. Respect should be both ways. Both ways and talk to them like adults, you know. Don't talk to them like, ah, oh, Guchiku, what happened? You <laughs> fell, you bruised your knee. No, say, okay, you fell, you bruised your knee and, that, and this happened. But here's what you should do to, to make sure it doesn't happen again. And here's how we can uh, look after it and empower the kid to look after themselves. You don't yes. want a kid who's incapacitated the minute uh, they, uh, they fall down, you know? Yeah, the more, yeah, you don't have to talk down onto them. You should make them feel that, okay, whatever happened, it's their responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with your points. Yeah. Um, and kids, and I think kids or uh, children or students should have the right to call out someone who's being unreasonable. Irrespective of their uh, position over you. Wow. Oh, this is a beautiful point that you said. The hierarchy. The hierarchy. In, in Sweden and in, in back home, the hierarchy is totally different. The reason why I try to like, live in a country where the hierarchy is like, you know, I can go to my company and I can talk to my CEO just like I'm talking to you, Gogo. Like, you know how we greet each other in the company mm-hmm. by saying namaste, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's more like an inside joke. Like I salute to him, like, you know, the security guards who doesn't know how to salute that. That's the kind of response he and I have. That's the bond. So uh, there was this one moment where one of the board of directors had come to the, to the office and um, he said, and, uh, and to give a broader context, I'm the only non-European in that company, which means I'm the only English speaking person. Everyone else knows Swedish. Oh. Okay. So whenever they have the meeting, 
they always have it in Swedish. And when my new CEO took over and he and me joined at the same time. So he was like, ah, Zafar, do you know Swedish? I was like, no, I just know two words, hey, hey, and fika. So, and it was like, okay, five minutes before the presentation, he switched it to English. That kind of respect, I have never got it back home. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because there were he, people who would talk to, talk to me in Hindi back home. When they know that uh-huh. I don't speak in Hindi, uh, I respond in English to make it clear to them that you have to, you know, have a neutral language. Exactly. These subtle cues. I'm not, the thing is, I'm not saying people back home are very rude, but to, uh, it's like the, the value system of understanding that, okay, it does not matter on your age. Respect has to go both ways. Yeah. You, yeah, you validate me on the kind of respect I give you. And it, it should be both parents, uh, kids or teacher, student or, work colleagues, boss, and the work people. Yeah. Yeah. Respect should go both ways. And the passage of information is more useful when age is not a factor or when your hierarchy is not a, not a factor. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. We need to, we need to live in a world where, uh, uh, this, this, and the, the thing that, especially with what you will see in Indian companies, you give someone a little bit of power. It goes to the head. Uh, maybe that's because they have never had power all through or they were always restricted. They were always treated as a kid by their parents, by their, su- their teachers, their, everyone in their life. The minute they have some power instead of, and that's, that's a true test of character. Huh? You have that opportunity then to mm-hmm. change, break the cycle and, and be a better person and be a better example for the people coming next versus you going back to that vicious cycle just to take, get the revenge of all those years of suppression that you've had. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why do people do that? Oh, it happened to me, so it has to happen to you. This kind of, this bullying, it's not a healthy thing. Really? It's not. It's, that was the kind of training that I got in my first job. They told me like, ah, we, we put everyone through hell in the first time. For what? Every, everyone has to go through it. <laughs> I think that's what? grade A bullshit because they don't have a better way to teach. They don't have a more... Uh, uh, they don't have a natural, nicer way to teach. They think there's aggressive way. And you know, I was so naive then. I, if I, I wish I could go back with the way I think now, what, what I know now. If I could yeah. go back and deal with those situations, I would have been so, I would have called out so many more people on their bullshit. Hey, that's true, man. That's true. Because fear is a powerful motivator. That's what they think. But no. No, it's not. I, I, no. Fear, the, the, fear yeah, is something continue. that, fear is something that will, will, uh, Will is will 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 uh, will uh, plant a seed of resentment. If you okay. continue to inflict fear on a person, mm-hmm. you are inflicting uh, a seed of resentment that that person feeds to you, and will never be able to. You will never be able to remove that seed. That seed once it's planted, it's there. It's there, and you build your entire uh, foundation of your character based on that. Okay, coming to this, how religious are you, Google? I, when I was a kid, I thought it was really cool to tell people I was an atheist because it was a cool thing. Yeah, I don't believe in God. You know, God mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But as I grew, as I grew up, I, it is undeniable that, uh, at least for me, that there is some, that uh, the, the, the concept of spirituality has some uh, basis to it, has something, there has to be, there I, I refuse to believe that uh, we as humans capable of such 
you know, capable of theories and capable of such deep thoughts, capable of such deep uh, uh, revelations of uh, nature and self, do not have a higher purpose, a higher meaning, a higher self to achieve after this. I refuse to believe that our life is this very limited three-dimensional uh, passage through time. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing more for us to see. I refuse to believe it. Uh, yeah. That, that is my spirituality. That, that is my understanding of spirituality uh, or religion. <laughs> for different individuals, the translation of religion is different. Tell me, but, tell me yours. I want to know my, yours. Okay. And yours mm. would be very interesting. And I know, I know to some extent for sure, because we have <laughs> talked about this many times. But given that you're, you're from a religion that has been polarized so much in media... Yes. And yeah. in, in talk, I, I am very, very curious for you to share your your view on religion itself. Okay, I will Zafar give a background. Ahmed. Zafar Ahmed, so that someone who's listening knows full context why I'm <laughs> saying what I'm saying. And yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not speaking against. I'm not speaking against your faith or anything. I'm speaking against. I'm not even speaking against anything. I'm speaking of your mindset because I know uh, you've come from a very, very. Uh, You've gone through these motions multiple times. Oh yeah, every airport I go through this every time. But I will, I will give a background. So I'm not sure if you know this. I studied. I was born a Muslim. I didn't ask for the religion to be enforced on me. But of course, once you're born into the religion, you get the Islam title. Next, I was put in a Christian. Protestant school to study. So of course, I went and attended mass. And I did all the hallelujahs and the, and the chorus singing, everything I've done, all that. So, and then I go to Amrita where uh, you get uh, holistic Hindu, um, Hinduism. Basically, they try to make you into uh, Hindus mm-hmm. with their bhajans and things. <laughs> very, very subtle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But... I've, I went through different stages of my life. I went through different religions. And somehow it changes your fundamental belief system, right? You come with Ahmad Zafar Ali. That's your title. Mm-hmm. You are a Muslim name and you're put in a Christian school. And then, of course, you have all these Islamophobic people trying to harm you just because of your name. And then you go to uh, Amrita. They are also, we have Islamophobes uh, who try to harm you just because of your name. The thing is, just because of your name, they want to harm you. They don't know the person you are. It's so interesting, right? We're always afraid of things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so coming back to religion, uh, um, how do I put this? So, yeah, I was also an atheist because I have gone through all this process of religions and tried to take the best of it and try to find my, how do I fit in all these? So, mm-hmm. Once you know all these three religions, not know in the sense of I have studied it, but I have experienced it. When I was growing up, my uncle, uh, he told me, Zafar, you don't have to go to mosque or you don't have to fast to be a Muslim. If you, the people should know you're a Muslim by the way you act, by the, by the way you, you do your things. That should, yeah, that was a great thought. Yeah. And I was what, I was a teenager and I didn't understand what he was trying to say, but that, that stuck with me. 
sometimes you grow up listening to these things you don't understand until re- later on you realize yeah, in life absolutely. man <laughs> i couldn't agree with you there's so many things that now when i look back and think that was such a profound moment but back then it meant nothing to me yes yes and and i was like wow this is so damn cool i i i i should have understood this long back and uh, and then i was an I, uh, like an atheist until i saw this movie called trance by fahad fasal oh so my god that's a brilliant a movie <laughs> that guy can act man that guy can fucking act yeah we should have these you know these guys fahad fasal should have been we should have been exposed to his kind of acting while we were performing in the university because we could we, we were on the same kind of uh thrill seeking we were we were we 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 are like fahad fasil you i are in the same journey but fahad fasil's way ahead of us yeah exactly he should be our mentor or something he's a, so he's nice. a million miles ahead but we are yes. on the same road we're yes 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 road. he's a million yeah. miles ahead yeah anyway so his movie called trans uh, i had my issues with religion because of the way i was uh put aside in any airport i went just for my name or just for the skin color or anything but i saw this movie and then i realized man religion is important because what is religion it's the cheapest form of motivation for people who don't have the fundamental uh uh it's a free drug yeah okay okay that that is another subject to talk about it's the cheapest form of motivation for people who don't have access to basic amenities of education like us religion, we went religion is also a great way to make you feel your suffering is going to be worth it hmm i think karl marx said something along those similar lines it, yeah, it's a so. drug have, yeah i might have <laughs> ripped him off a little <laughs> <laughs> he said it's a drug for people who are who have nothing else to do or something along those lines uh yeah but what is your right now your I'm personal i'm an agnostic uh, uh, fair enough and so am i uh, but i want to understand what is how would you in that case you're agnostic if i asked you to define god how would you define god oh my god <laughs> okay uh god for me before that i would ask you another question Okay okay but uh, zafar before we go ahead i want you yeah. to remind me about uh, the fourth dimension okay later on because i want to oh, tell shit. you tell you a concept that i have about okay. the dimension okay okay but, i uh, have to okay. recollect yeah keep that in your mind because okay but let's finish this topic about god i would like you to define god and before that ask me the question that you you want to want to ask yeah the, i wanted to ask you why do we travel hmm why do we travel interesting but, a very well, simple question when there are there are okay now when you say travel are we talking about why do we travel or why do we journey what are we talking about yeah i i think you're getting to the place where i want you to go so Because good there are continue, there are continue. two things two things that you could do and both of them involve you i'm talking about the physical act of going to a place itself but mm-hmm. there are two ways that you do that one is you travel to the place other one is you journey to the place okay now yeah pick pick one and give me an answer because the act no because i ha- i have done both i have done both <laughs> and both of them are fundamentally very different one is a spiritual experience which is the journey mm-hmm. uh have you heard of the camino de santiago no 
it is it is a it is a it is a hike which you can do over 2 months and you cover thousands of kilometers walking to uh, a church in spain called camino no called santiago uh, uh, compostela and uh, camino is the way i did a 5 day version of that which is a 100 last 120 kilometers and that was a journey wow okay every day okay. you walk 20 to 30 kilometers and mm-hmm. you have nothing but your thoughts your music if you mm-hmm. have any music and you have the other people on the road who are travelers who are journeymen but they're not uh, they're not people you know but you're in this journey together you're you're walking together there's a sense of uh, uh, brotherhood but you're walking but everyone has their purpose for that and that that purpose that you have for going to that that church that spot in the end that's your religion that's your god that's my definition of god. it's so beautiful because isn't it the same thing why people travel to mecca between mecca and madina mm-hmm. yeah yeah so why i asked you this is we don't travel to move ava- move around we travel in order to be moved mm. very true right you you experience all the things because we are out of our comfort zone so the familiarity is totally lost and right now you are in a place where nothing means anything but you are on this platform to go somewhere and then you are learning things around you and you are getting moved by all these experiences okay i i might travel to spain or to to lapland uh, in the north of sweden and then you get this souvenirs on the way maybe it's a stone and maybe maybe it, it it's the picture of the northern lights and you take it and you bring it back home and you put it on a wall and when yeah. someone comes and ask you hey man what is this like it's your museum of memories all this pebble or the northern lights or whatever it may be yeah. you're taking things out of context and putting it there and giving it a meaning i think it's a uh, beautiful he said in this uh in 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 one of these movies where a fox is there i don't remember but when i when i recall i will let you know but zafar you know uh over the last one year right mm-hmm. i have completely stopped taking photos okay i've stopped taking okay. photos i've stopped posting photos on on instagram like of places and all i've only posted two times on instagram uh in the last with a selfie year. yeah with a selfie just <laughs> i just and mostly i did that because mostly i'm i'm uh it was it was those one of those few rare moments in the last one year where i felt good about myself uh-huh. and i felt like uh me posting that was me sharing that with the world but uh that's the only reason i posted in the last uh, but one of the most profound things that's happened since i've stopped uh, caring about social media or caring about having anything or showing sharing my life the way i see a place or experience a place has changed so much i never was i, w- I wouldn't say i was a heavy user i was not mm-hmm. like i was like but i used to post stories regularly about different places i went to and then i realized when i stopped posting right first of all i didn't use my phone at all wherever i went i was just experiencing the place for what it is second thing is uh the real things that i cared about or, or really did there was any way there was no way to capture that in a camera or capture that in any uh medium itself it could only exist in my mind's eye my experience of that place at that time and yeah big. and that's all i'm doing now i'm collecting those memories those places and one yeah. day i can tell stories of those places exactly because the things that you saw and things that made you move it belongs to you i think it's beautifully mentioned in this movie it's about a photographer who travels and takes photos so there is one moment where the protagonist in the story meets the actual photographer 
the name of the movie is Secret Life of Secret Walter, Life of Walter Mitty. Mitty. Right, exactly. movie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I am a photographer, right? Because I enjoy taking, capturing life, not because I want to enjoy the moment. It's because it's a placeholder for me, for future references. Because, of course, now in Corona times, we are all back home. We have nothing to do. And the passage of time is so different, right? Like, you don't, like, I still feel it's like February or March. I don't know. Like, the sense of time has totally shifted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so you have to go back and check, okay, maybe it's the food photography that I took. So I need to replenish my memory. That's why It is more than that, you know. It is so much more than that because it's that, it's, it's, it's everything. It's how tired I felt at that moment that I felt that I'm going to sit here for some time. The fact that I sat and this one beautiful song that I've been listening to, which has been in my mind, came on my shuffle list. And then I'm sitting and then I noticed something about that place, which, which only I've noticed or maybe or I've, many people have noticed, but I'm looking at it in my own way. And I've, I have that moment. I have that. I have so many such moments now. I find it so beautiful. I can never express how I feel about them in words. I can't express... Uh, I can't express the true emotion associated with it. But I can hopefully one day go back to those places and, and remember how I felt. Maybe I don't feel exactly how, but I remember, ah, yeah, I did have a beautiful moment here. It's like a flavor, like you eat biryani and you reminisce on the flavor of that biryani, right? Yeah. That's the kind it of might not taste the same. It might not taste exactly <laughs> the same, but it, it gives me enough nuances to go on that I know, ah, I did once have a beautiful biryani and this biryani is good. But yeah, that biryani was beautiful and it's beauty. It's nothing, no regret, no, no remorse, nothing. It's just, I'm enjoying that. I have that to look back to. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like there there are instances in our life. Like when I saw the Northern lights, I was like, or, or, okay. Most people might not have this opportunity, but I will take you a very simple example. While it's pitch dark and there is, there is lightning and thunder somewhere out there. And then you're sitting at your home. Okay. Maybe you're outside and then just stop for a moment and then close your eyes and listen to this thunder. And you'll be like, like you will have this transcending feeling that you're so small. The nature is so big. Mm-hmm. And we humans look at ourselves as something so majestic that we can control all this, but no, let that, let that thought go away. And then you become one with the nature. And then, then that is God for me, finding wonder, lust in this tiny, tiny, small, small things. That's where God is for me. Absolutely. Now you see why I had to make you travel all through our journey and bring (laughs) you to God. This is what I was trying to do. Beautiful. I wouldn't, I couldn't have put it, I couldn't agree with you more. Neither could I put it more beautifully than you just did. It is, it is those tiny moments that, uh, that, you know, give you the flavor of God. Yes. So in this 10 years, we, uh, we, we passed out from the university. Uh, what, what are those subtle things that changed your life? In since we passed out. Yeah. Uh, subtle things or big things? Because there are obviously big things that change both our life. Or was it, do you want to talk about the subtle things? It doesn't matter anything because we, we, we are a product of our experiences, right? So I think one ch- thing that truly changed my life, one thing that I really experienced life for what it was, I quit working for the last one year 
before I came to Madrid. And mm-hmm. I just did pro bono work. I did consulting, but I did pro bono consulting. Free. Completely free. I lived off, I lived off my savings. I put some aside. I'd, I'd given some, like somewhere in the bank. I couldn't touch them. I couldn't open the account or whatever. I had like maybe, I had, I had two lakhs to live off of for a whole year. And I lived off that. And not having money, not having a source of income. And uh, just thinking about like, okay, I have 100 rupees to spend today. What is the, what meal can I have? And how can I, 100 rupees is a lot. It's, it's a lot. It, 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 on a good day, it was like, I would think, okay, yeah, today I'll spend 100. Most days I think, and I started thinking about things like, okay, you know what I should do? I should buy for maybe 100 rupees today and I'll cook so that I have a meal for the next three days. For the next four days, I have food. I have, I have something to eat. I started thinking from that perspective. And the minute you strip away, strip, sorry, let me just finish this thought. And then before you see, the mm-hmm. minute you strip away all those luxuries that we took for granted, mm-hmm. you realize I was sleeping in a house with no furniture. It was just one bed in one room on the floor, one lamp so I could study for my GMAT. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. A kitchen was equipped. This is my parents' house. It was just newly made and all that. Nice mm-hmm. house. But no curtains, nowhere, uh, except my room. I asked them to please put curtains in my room so I could sleep at night because there was a street light from outside. Okay. No curtains uh, apart from that. A whole house is filled with like orange light all night. Uh, no furniture. I had like one chair in the living room where I could sit and like look at videos and all. Uh, I had that bed where I would sleep, uh, where, you know, I'd put on the floor where I would sleep. And I had one tiny study table where I would sit and study. I had one kitchen, which was equipped. I would eat sitting on the floor, sitting on my bed. That's where I would eat. And once you strip away everything, right? You realize so little. Do you? I'm sitting on the. I'm sitting on one cushion right now on the floor and talking, doing this podcast with you. You realize. Okay. You realize nothing. You need, man. You need nothing in life. All the, those things that we've we have, we've had. They're luxuries that are great, fantastic. But is that what you need to be? I was so happy with that life, you know. And I think about that, I reminisce on that and think I want to go back to that. That's what wow. that, that one change, I, 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 that, has, that has truly told me that I need nothing. In fact, when I move to Barcelona, my plan is to take an unfurnished apartment if I can uh, find one which is, fits all my criteria, uh, which mm-hmm. is close to work and I can, I can like, uh, you know, it's a nice, I want a nice like, place to like come home to that little bit, not a dirty house and all. But I would buy minimal furniture. Minimal means minimal. One bed, one really nice bed. I get good sleep. One nice couch, which can double as a bed when someone comes. Mm-hmm. I need nothing else. I need, nothing. I need a nice kitchen where I can cook. I can't think of another thing that I need in the house. I need a lamp maybe for some light to direct it to place where I'm sitting. I can't think of another thing that I need. Is that your uh, definition of success? No. That my definition of success, my that is my definition of a good life. My definition of success is my legacy. What am I wow. leaving behind for someone to? Uh, if I if if I manage to leave behind, or if I manage to change one life before I I leave this this world, I call that I call that success. Change so building, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's there. There are two things I want to add on to this. Actually, maybe I'll try to summarize what you said. You want to leave a legacy with your value system that you have created, right? Yes, that's one. Uh, yeah. And uh, 
that is for someone else. You're doing a selfless, selfless act for someone else, like growing a tree so that it can offer shade to someone else who's going to sit under that and study. The next one, what I would say that I want to do for myself is to collect all this. My purpose in life is to collect all these moments of wonder. Like I would want to be a wonder junkie. Wonder I think that's junkie. a word. Yeah, <laughs> wonder junkie. Hmm, how do I explain this? Like, what's a junkie? People who get uh, aroused by some drugs or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to explain this. But wonder junkie is finding happiness or finding the sensation of joy in the little things. Like maybe, okay, Northern Lights is a big thing, but maybe it's a small act that you do. Or listening to the rain. Or having some chai and watching the rain and having some uh, uh, snacks or something like that. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are tiny, tiny things that we take for granted. But What is your quiet moment that you, that you take for granted? No, not you take for granted, but what is your quiet moment that you love? Okay, talking about quiet, I will tell you an experience that I had when I came back from India. Um, before I come to the actual question. Um, I came to Sweden and uh, I was staying in a corridor room. So it's just like eight people share a common kitchen, but we have our individual rooms. So I come to this room, there is a bed, there is a furniture and no curtains, nothing. So I'm just, uh, the first night I came here, uh, I tried to sleep and it was so scary to sleep. You know why, why, Google? Why? It's because it was so silent. I was not used to getting silence. I thought I was dead. <laughs> because Sweden is not chaotic. Like in India, when you go to bed, uh, you have dogs barking, cows uh, doing cow things. We have lorries, trucks and pom-poms and kikis and all that stuff. <laughs> Here, you never had all that. So I was so afraid. Yeah, I can but I, Yeah, But then I, I became familiar with the silence. I thought it was nice. What you do you start appreciating. Mm, yeah, yeah. You start I, appreciating silence. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Okay, uh, Zafar, if you want to share this, okay, mm-hmm. only if you want to share this information, what is your quiet moment of uh, self-reflection? Where do you go to be with yourself, just yourself? Where I you, think we all we all have the same answer. It's in the shower. It's in the shower. My answer is yeah. completely different. <laughs> What's your answer? What's your answer? I walk. Uh Aha. Where do you walk to? Like, uh, I just walk. I walk anywhere, any street, anything. I have music. I avoid people. I go on streets, which are empty, go to parks, which are empty, but I walk and I'm, I reach a point, uh, where it's like, I don't, have, I don't have a sensation of doing a physical activity. I, I, you know, I've been walking so much. Last month, I have walked a total of... Uh, hold on, I'll tell you. Let me open up these stats because I want to... I've been walking so much the last couple of months. So this month so far, I have walked uh, 131 kilometers, 132 kilometers. Next wow. month, mm-hmm. last month, I walked a total of 208 kilometers. This month, I'm trying to make it uh, at least 250. So you're walking with your own thoughts in your head and how do you manage your thoughts? You know, it can be destructive sometimes. I don't manage my thoughts. I find, first of all, having physical activity 
already makes you subconsciously itself it reveals relieves a lot of stress is one thing that's physiological mm-hmm. because it 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 does it has a calming effect second thing is uh uh it what i allow is i lo- allow my thoughts to crash crash into each other i lo- i experience all of them whatever is nagging me i think it i let it let it take like spotlight think it finish it but if i'm thinking of a problem and i'm trying trying to think of a solution right i don't mm-hmm. like think okay what is the solution what is the solution i think of anything i think of everything but my mind will find its way back to what i think could be a solution exactly it's so surprising how this mind works like whatever you said there are there are scientists who had gone through the same process like this guy uh, found out that the benzene ring like he was dreaming of uh, he dreamt of a snake that ate itself and then he woke up and then he was like shit uh, this, the, the 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 benzene ring uh, is that shape is the hexagonal shape and then when most of the time you get your answers when you're relaxing like newton was not thinking about finding gravity he was just trying to solve some math problems and an apple fell on his head he was relaxing under that apple tree mm, yeah it came to yeah so answers come to you when you're relaxing and i relax when i'm showering nice so you i re- i, I relax have... you relax with your right hand or your left hand Uh, that <laughs> so the thing is okay uh, <laughs> it's not the kind I'm of relax but i'm kidding but i don't is, I, i don't want to offend uh, <laughs> uh, offend uh, a certain person a mutual friend of ours who might be listening to this by by stating that yeah why do you watch these people relaxing in the shower <laughs> so i have this um like this a wall opposite to my shower with a you can with a marker so i can write down all my thoughts sometimes i have ideas sometimes i have solutions sometimes i have this abstract random math equations or whatever <laughs> or some cooking recipes <laughs> yeah i think most most people have these kind of uh thought process because shower is a place where you don't do anything you just stand there and then wait for the sh- the water to release all your stress and mm. make you clean and purified <laughs> interesting it's a good way to i mean yeah okay i can't judge because everyone has their own thing uh, everyone everyone deals with it completely differently i walk and to some people that might be crazy when you're stressed out there's so much to do just going out and walking but uh, i get it i get everyone has to and i think the important thing is not what it is but discovering what it is so you know where to go when you have to get something done in your head okay well, what's this one question that you're struggling with what, what, what's that one thing right now on yeah from from top of your head yeah what am i struggling with right now is hmm actually it's interesting it's a mix of things there's a lot of things right now up in the air for me but i think one one a key aspect which i've thought about for a while is what do i make of the next uh, few years of my life because now i'm starting a new phase in my career completely mm-hmm. new phase in a completely new place everything is different what i do next in the next at least one year year or two years will define what my life there or what my how my role will evolve in this new play that i'm going into this this theater of life if you may mhm but uh, that's what i'm struggling with right now i need to not struggle it's i was a struggle would be cheapening what it is it's a very interesting problem that i'm facing and i'm dealing with the complexities i'm trying dealing with the uncertainties and trying to to at the risk of sounding very geeky 
trying to forecast what the most optimal solution would be, optimal path would be for me to take. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to sound deep, but I'm really just sounding very, 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 very vague as well. Very vague. <laughs> nice. Uh, but you, you, okay. I will tell you what, what has changed for me in the past couple of years. I had attended like until a certain point, you have things that you have imbibed from your university life. And then you have it until you have your next big, uh, change of thought process. Right. right. One such thing happened when I was in Norway in, in a conference, it was a science conference where, uh, all the people who are contributing to science communication, they are awarded a Stephen Hawking's medal. The name of the conference is called Starmus. Okay. So I attended this and uh, I didn't expect much out of this. It was a one week conference. And the thing is I met very prominent human beings. Uh, I can name a few, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, if you don't know these people, ask me, I can tell you. Uh, then uh, Steve Vai, uh, Brian May, uh, who else? Most of the astronauts, uh, mm-hmm. most of the Nobel Prize winners, all these guys were there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the thing is, while growing up, you are exposed to this kind of pseudoscience thought process. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that they are pseudoscience until someone, someone actually takes you by surprise and tells, hey man, whatever you're thinking is wrong. And this is the correct way to think. So I didn't know there was an entire section about uh, skepticism and critical thinking until I went to this conference. Yeah. And uh, uh, I used to be uh, one of the uh, followers of Cosmos. It's a series about, it's a science series. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is the, uh, the anchor for it. Uh-huh. And then I meet, meet this guy in person. He's a six feet guy, he's so huge. And then I'm like, I'm meeting my idol. We are in the same room, breathing the same air. Somehow you meet a celebrity, it changes you, man. It, it, makes, you, uh, it makes you take a break from your everyday. It's, 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 like a, it's like a comma. Until that moment, whatever life you lived, like maybe you wake up, go to job, come back, and then you go to this conference and bam. You have a new source of motivation to do something bigger than yourself. That was an eye-opening moment for me going to that conference. Do you think, like, uh, do you, think you could have achieved that moment without having met these people? Or do you think it was instrumental in you feeling this way? Uh, I think I, I, it was a, I was glad to go for this conference because it changed and shaped the kind of thought process I have because I started listening to podcasts. How, how many, when was this? How many years ago was this? Or? Uh, it was 2017. Starmus, Starmus 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met, uh, even Stephen Hawking was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peace be upon him. Yeah, so these great people come and talk and then it changes you, man. You are not the same person whom you were before attending the conference. Interesting. I've, uh, I'm yet to have such a uh, transcendental experience. But uh, transcendental, is that a word? Yeah, transcending. Transcending, yeah. I've yet to have such a transcending experience regarding uh, meeting someone like that uh, and uh, a person personally changing my life like that is... Uh, but I like to think that 
I've had your experience just spread out. You've had one powerful moment, right? That one powerful experience. I like yes. to think that I had, I've had the same effect, but my, my experience is broken down and come in varying intensities from a bunch of people who I've met and talked to and normal, normal day people or people who I look up to like mm-hmm. you talking to you is one of them. And oh, likewise, likewise, like, like I said, we both have like, okay. Uh, there was, I had a chemistry professor in my school and uh, he asked me, he asked the class a question and we were young, naive kids, but he still asked, he asked, okay. He asked the class, what's the difference between a genius person and an intelligent person? What would you answer, Gautam? Uh, a genius person is someone who knows the in and out of the subject. An intelligent person is someone who knows where to find that genius and how to use him. <laughs> well, you come from a marketing background, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will tell you what I learned when I was in school from this yeah. professor. He told me an intelligent person is someone who makes his or their own mistakes and learns from them. Mm-hmm. A genius person is the one who learns from the intelligent person without making other mistake. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's like that. So, so are if, you a genius or are you intelligent? Maybe. I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. If I have one euro or one rupee, and you have one euro or one rupee. We both exchange that currency. How many, how much do we have with each other? You have one rupee, right? Okay. Uh-huh. But if I have an experience or I have an idea and you have an experience or idea, we both exchange. How many experiences are we having? We have two. We are evolving. Mm-hmm. So that ties back to what you said. What? About your experience, you're collecting experiences by right, talking to humans. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to think that, uh, um, that with my, with, uh, with a few people, I want to be able to, uh, you know, one thing, at least I've learned looking at uh, everyone, even our experiences together and all, is when you have, uh, you should be humble enough to accept that I am not capable of this and I can learn this from this person. And we had so many of those moments in drama, right? Like yeah. uh, there were roles that we had, there were in the drama that I would have really loved to do some of the roles you did. And I don't know if you would have wanted to play some of the roles I did, but I, I just, I just knew right off the bat that I could probably pitch and probably because we are such good friends, you would have stepped aside and said, okay, you do it. I'll do yeah, the other one. Definitely. But it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have done justice because you were meant for that role. You were meant to play that. And the, the, only you would have done it the justice that, that we thought of when we thought of that role or thought of that character. And uh, <laughs> what, what, you, have to accept, is... you have to accept that. As a, as a human, you have to accept the fact that you will never be as good at something as someone who is naturally gifted in it. It is just what it is. You have to accept it. And maybe what you could do is learn uh-huh. something from that person, take that uh-huh. and apply it in another way, mold it to what works for you and use it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, moreover, we do things for people, not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of what you are. You're trying to put your definition out there. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Absolutely. But that, that's, 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 a, that's a great thought. I didn't know you wanted to do the roles that I did, man. That's, that's surprising. Like, I, I think I know why you think I was chosen for the, role, for the roles. And you came to my room and you saw this dark black group and you're like, man, this, this guy's a weird guy. <laughs> it takes, but, it takes uh, one thing I, I definitely want to call out and, and you know, throw a compliment to you as well. None of your roles were, uh, were cakewalks. There was an intensity required. And you bring a lot of intensity when you, when you do something. You have an mm-hmm. obsessive, obsessive behavior. When you decide you're going to do something, you have to break it down. You have to understand it to, uh, to, uh, to a conceptual level that uh, nobody is willing to go to. And I think it is th- that that helps you bring that in- intensity and bring that character to life. I, for me, I mm-hmm. had, and I, I have no shame in admitting it, I had more of the flashy roles because that suited what I could do. But I, w- I wouldn't say I was able to achieve the same level of intensity that you were. Man, I, was I, able to, to, yeah. I was able to add another, maybe a level of personality aspect to it, but I would never, never able to go as deep as you would go. With. Really? Because I thought I could learn, because you are very good at strategizing and coming up with storytelling. Now, for, for any drama, you need story. You had that. I, had I can't that, make it. I couldn't leverage that for my performance itself. I mean, I could leverage it, obviously, what was needed, but I couldn't uh, bring that depth to my performance per se, which you did. I could do it at a higher level. I could look at the big picture and know what I had to do. That was wow. where I came in. You came in at the, at the details, which is why we worked well together. You had the details. I had the big picture. Man, I, I, well, when we and were performing, these were not the things that was going in my head. But I think you're giving a different dimension to the kind of things that we did. That's, that's totally awesome, man. Look at us, two bros cheering each other up. What? But that's the thing, right? Uh, th- th- that's why this introspection is so important. Because what we did then, the work we did then, had ramifications mm-hmm. for our career, our lives now. And I still attribute a lot of my comfort on a stage and comfort with people to my time on stage uh, uh, as an actor. So yeah, you, a yeah, lot you of that, are... you, have to, you have to look back to that time to understand that what we did was actually a lot more subtle, a lot more complex than just the surface level writing a story and going on stage. We did exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is totally true. We didn't bring the regular things to the table. We went two, three steps ahead and and that and, giving that introspection, that thought, the ability to connect with people to that level, to, to thinking of what is going to create irk, uh, irk a person or, you know, invoke a reaction. And, yeah. What makes them uncomfortable? Let's tap onto that and then and, see what happens. And you know, you know what, you, what, what is extremely funny. I've been able to use that experience, uh, uh-huh. but turn it on its head and find aspects that make people comfortable. What can I immediately make a set of people comfortable about? And use that every time I present or do a presentation in uh, over the last uh, couple of years. And it's helped me phenomenally. I've been able to. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I've done the same thing for my thesis and stuff. Because um, it, it, like I can give you one example. So uh, you have to put in humor sometimes to get the attention of the crowd. Yeah. And you have to let them know. You know what, what my uh, preferred methodology is? Uh-huh. See, there are two aspects to it. When someone goes on stage, either, either that person feels inferior and he's scared of the intimidated by the crowd that's there. Mm-hmm. Or, or the crowd feels slightly intimidated because that person is of a certain stature or a level. 
right? Those are the two scenarios in which someone goes on stage and performs. Now, there's a third one, which a lot of people have definitely achieved and reached, but I, and which I think is the one that you need to tap into if you truly want to elicit a natural crowd reaction or have a natural interaction. That is, you want to make them feel that you guys are having a beer. This is just one large gathering where everyone's chilling or having a coffee, having a beer or a coffee. You guys are relaxing, talking. And then it's that time in the conversation where that one guy is talking about something specific and everyone's paying attention to him and listening. And, and that guy just happens to be a really good storyteller and uh-huh. is telling you a story of that time. That's how, that is your ideal presentation. Not your flashy, very, very loud words, loud uh, this thing. No, it's this guy telling a story on stage, but he's a, you, you, you feel like he's a bro, you know? Mm-hmm. He's one of us and he's a great orator and he's taking you to a place where you have never been before. So that's what I'm trying to get to and trying to achieve. I think you're brilliant at that. Sometimes the, the, some of the performance that you did, it just fit you, man. It's very hard to pull off what you did. Thank you, man. I appreciate, I appreciate I'm not sure words. you know this. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if you other people have told you, but from what I have seen, it was hard to do what you did. To have that kind of the, the, the flexibility in the language that you use. Because come on, when we were writing stories, we made sure that the language that we used is actual language that we talk. Yeah, yeah. That comes from a place of comfort in the language. Yeah. And you're doing justice to the character by using those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Very interesting that you bring that up. Because I have over the last, uh, uh, last few, maybe few years even, I've realized more importantly, the reason that uh, the one true thing, the only true skill that I truly have, truly have, is my language and my ability to communicate. Everything else is supplementary. Everything else, all these technical skills are built supplementary. But my true skill is my ability to talk. It's good that you bring this point. I wanted to ask you from the start, how many Spanish friends do you have? I have a lot of Spanish friends, but I don't speak to them in Spanish. We converse in my language, which, which, gives, me a, which gives me an unfair advantage uh-huh. because I am very comfortable speaking what, how I speak. And that gives me an unfair advantage. And I suppose that's why that's given me opportunities or put me in a place of, uh, uh, where I can leverage a few things because I have chosen to position myself like that. But yes, if it was in Spanish, I would. But if it was, if it was a compulsion that I had to learn Spanish, the first thing that I would do is look to build that same level of comfort because I'm, I'm, I'm so sold on the idea that just having that level of comfort in the language will get you so far that, uh, that, that itself is, uh, that itself is all you need. It's so interesting that sometimes English has not evolved so much that it can translate our feelings into words that has a meaning in English. You know, Zafar, the huh? one, one, Advice that I would give anyone, any student, any person doing anything in their life. Uh-huh. The only advice, and the, I, am, I am only 29 years old. Okay? Uh-huh. I, am not, I am not a sage. I am not a wise person. I've lived a pretty standard life. Nothing extravagant, I would say. Nothing I've achieved. Uh, great. I'm just putting all these precursors out there. But I can assure you, and I will die by these words, is that if you master your language, are comfortable in your in what in the words that you can speak and can string together uh, and can you can make music out of language you have achieved 90% of your goals if you have that ability to communicate 
90% of it will fall into place. The rest of it is just filling in the pieces that you need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is totally true. Mm-hmm. Love it. Because, ah, tell me. No, no, no. Go on, go on. You finish your thought. Then I want to come to the fourth dimension uh, thing that I want to blow your mind with. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Because while we are talking about communication, I want to bring another stereotype into this conversation about Sweden. Um, it's hard to make friends, Swedish friends in this country if you don't speak Swedish. Okay. But you know, I, it, it took me some while to get Swedish friends and the only way English didn't help then. You know what helped? What? Cooking. Cooking. These, okay. Yeah, cooking. It's also language. A, uh, yeah, language of spices. Yes. Um, the thing is, um, uh, I didn't know how to turn on the stove. So I had a Finnish friend and she taught me how to turn on the stove. Imagine me coming from India. I used to buy stuff from Swiggy all the time and I had no idea how to turn on the stove. But then later on, I started making small omelet. Then I started making some curries, blah, blah, blah. And my classmates, uh, they could smell my food. You take lunch mm-hmm. uh, to, your, to your classrooms and you have it outside. And they, were, they started coming, approaching me because it smelled good. And one of them asked, hey, man, what is this? And I was like, yeah, try this. Try this. So my, <laughs> I so can me, totally see you doing that. Imagine you doing it. Hey, try this. Eat this. Try Try, try. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so they, they were like, who the hell is this guy trying to give us food, man? Is he trying to bribe us or something? But it was a good, good kind of, um, how do I put this? Good kind of exchange because I got friends just because of the, the things I gave them and I gave them food. The only language I needed then was food. And it helped me wherever I went with all the Swedish people. I go to my office, my colleagues, the only way I could bond with them is through food. And that's a very powerful language. So adding on to what you said, if you can, lang- if you can master your language and moreover, if you can master your cooking skills, even better. It could be the most simple thing. You don't have to learn everything A to Z in cooking. Just take one dish, master that dish. That's enough. It could be as simple as making an omelet. That's enough. Perfect. It, 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 will, it will change a lot of things. I, I because, completely agree. I completely agree. Food is a beautiful way to share culture and even communicate. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, if you're hungry, whoever is giving you food, their religion doesn't matter. Their political where they stand does not matter. The gender doesn't matter. They are no, nothing matters. Food is food. And whoever gives you food, they are God. They are God. Beautiful, Zafar. So Zafar, we've been talking for a long time. And I think uh, I want to tie up our initial talk. And this is going to be the first of many of our talks, okay? Okay, we no to, issues. We have to do tons of these more because I just I feel like we can talk for like hours, man. But uh, but yes, before we, before we tie up this first episode of our... Uh, uh, five rupee philosophers uh, episode <laughs> series. I want to tell you yeah. one thing that I thought about, and it's a very, it might seem a very stupid concept, but I was just thinking, and I thought it was a really beautiful thought, and I want to share. I don't know if you think it's beautiful, but I want to share it with you. Hmm. Uh, so tell me, what is the fourth dimension, first of all? Wow, you want me to explain it the way I explained it to you before? No, no. Or... Would you would you say time is a fourth dimension? Oh. Um... I would try to explain what dimensions are. Then I can go to fourth dimension. Do you want me to do that? No, no, no. I, because I, it will break the flow of what I'm trying to pitch to. I, okay. okay. Then, then you Just pitch me your out. answer. Hear yeah, me okay. out. And then I would like you to evaluate my thought process. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Right. 
so time let's 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 for and and by a lot of the scientific community itself let's let's go by that general consensus that time is the fourth dimension right where okay. the and the fact that we we are three dimensional objects which means we do not have control over time yet mm -hmm. we are we are still in this three dimensional plane okay now okay. i believe not i believe but i i i'm putting this thought out there that we have already created a device that captures the fourth dimension and gives us control over it and every person every person most of the people uh, on earth would have come across this device or owned this device at least once can you venture a guess what this device would be hmm a photograph no i said it can control the fourth dimension you you it gives you control over the fourth dimension not full control but gives you uh some control over the fourth dimension my god i have no clue man is it a memory is it is it something physical it's something physical but you're thinking along where you thinking along the lines of memory is very good very good my god okay i, I don't i don't know man. and this is existed for centuries okay we made these centuries ago maybe thousands of years ago yeah thousands of years for sure for sure shit that means it should be in every home yeah absolutely and i'm i'm willing to bet uh, there are a few in your house right now what the fuck is it in my fridge no. can i eat this uh, <laughs> i wouldn't recommend it you can know, you can't eat it but you can consume it crap i don't know i don't know it's a book zafar ah shit okay it's a book and i'll tell give you an example i'll give you a very crude example imagine a book where you have a hero and a villain okay and the story mm -hmm. starts with the hero and the villain mm -hmm. but during the course of the book uh, the villain gets injured and towards the end of the book the villain dies okay so mm -hmm. at the end of the book the villain is dead but you as a reader as a person have the have the choice the ability to go to any chapter in the book where the villain is still alive so you get to experience oh. that timeline you have control over time in that within that sphere because you can decide uh if you want the villain to be alive or you want the villain to be dead merely by selecting a page in the book very interesting that you bring this up okay continue okay so that's my that's my concept that we have actually created a device that captures the fourth dimension mm this is much more of a a philosophical concept because i have read some of the books like this it's it's uh, goosebumps by arlstein so you need to go to specific yeah, pages to can, continue the story you yeah. can pick your destiny exactly yeah so isn't it wouldn't you say that this is uh, a way for us to it has been a way for us to capture that dimension uh as a physicist i would not agree but as a philosopher i totally agree as a philosopher there is no not as a physicist at all but as a philosopher i totally agree with this yeah thank you zafar zafar i am going to have to stop our recording now but stay on the call this has mm -hmm. been an absolutely lovely talk and i look forward to doing so many more of these with you no worries live long and prosper gugu live long and prosper stopping recording